Hey everyone, welcome to Simplexity, where we simplify the complexities of life and bring a little curiosity and contemplation to meaningful and sometimes difficult conversations. I'm your host, Allison Stoner. Seeing is believing, or believing is seeing. That is today's question, and the answer may depend on your goggles, or rather, what you see. Our beliefs power us, but so do our biases, and together these two can be a dynamic duo or a perilous pair. Joining us today is Bruce Garrison, a philosopher, writer, humanitarian, spiritual leader who's read more books this week than I have since I learned to read. He might be one of the most auspicious and impactful forces in my adult life, and yet we've only met in person once. Something I uh, really respect is that Bruce's perspective is cross-generational, it's multi-continental, it's even transrational. You can look that one up after this. His guiding life philosophy includes both looking backward for historical understanding as well as uh, looking forward to the future in order to responsibly address today's issues, whether they are spiritual or not. It's ancient and futuristic, which clarifies the present. And above all, he is critically (laughs) self-reflective, like me. Many of us, whether we have a religious or secular view, forget to examine our own vantage point, not realizing how many factors have influenced why and how we believe what we do. If you've never examined your own uh, worldview, you can pretty much assert that you've given your blind trust and devotion to principles, ideas, and people merely because they were the automatic option presented to you. Hashtag family. Hashtag media. Hashtag society. And if you're silly like me, you might mistake your perception as the absolutely true basis for moral goodness or the meaning of life. Thankfully, Bruce continues to help me unpack a lot of these invisible and visible forces. If you haven't already, prepare to take notes. Bruce Garrison, how are you? Welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Are you sick of me yet and all my questions? (laughs) Not a chance. Not anytime soon. So, since you and I don't like small talk, let's just cut to the chase. What are some of the easy, in-your-face filters that we kind of place on our goggles um, that people could benefit from noticing? So, I think one of the biggest things to think about is perspective means a lot when you're considering your spiritual understanding. Uh, There was a French novelist named Marcel Proust who was also kind of a philosopher, And he had this saying that the universe is the same for each of us, but dissimilar for each of us. Hmm. And we all kind of think we've got this objectivity, but we bring all these things with us. We bring our family, we bring our neighborhood, we bring our education, our culture, our race, sexuality, all these things. I always kind of smile these days when somebody says to me, well, I just want to look at it objectively. Because honestly, that's almost impossible to Mm. do because each one of us carries so many things that kind of color our lenses and help us to see the world the way we do. Right. Wow. And so how have your personal goggles evolved over time? What's a bias that you're currently hashing out? 
Um, for myself, with uh, I lived in England for 20 years and was able to travel to around 45 countries. So over those years, you just start going, oh, wow, people do things differently. Yeah, They can say things, they can mean things, they can do use terminology that sounds the same, but the way they use it is completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, For me right now, one of the big ones that I'm wrestling with is, uh, or not even wrestling with, but just trying to understand better, is the fact that the divine is not necessarily really separated from us, but that the divine is all around us Mm -hmm. and everything that's going on. And What's really interesting is if you look at most of the Eastern religions, they're all over this concept. It's kind of a foundation of who they are. But in the West, through the Reformation and kind of the way Christianity turned a lot of things into really strict moralism, we've kind of separated God a long way away from us. And so this concept that there was God speaking through nature, that all kinds of aspects of creation are sacred whether it be rivers, songbirds, the wind through trees, stars. I'm just kind of trying to get my head around being aware of that. Uh, It's there. Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan monk that's kind of a hot ticket item these days, (laughs) he said the presence of God is everywhere. What's lacking is awareness. Wow. And so I think that's probably the biggest paradigm shift I'm working on right now is just trying to develop a spiritual awareness that everything that's going on in the universe all the time has a sense of the sacred to it. Well, and that reminds me of just looking back in some of my earlier experiences with the church and forgetting that, you know, the context of scriptures and whatnot had a certain... um, worldview, even understanding of the cosmos, and as science and other uh, fields have evolved, somehow a lot of congregations are still interpreting scripture as though we're <laughs> centuries uh, earlier. And right. and there's almost a fear of what's new and what's different um, because it doesn't perfectly match the same verbiage. And yet I even remember earlier in some of our conversations, you would you know, uh, share poetry with me and it would be making the same uh, statement, but in just this far more visceral way. And yet at first I would read it and I would be afraid that this isn't the exact scripture. So can it still be just as true? And, and, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of fear from people inside certain faith traditions right now um, when they see kind of this new age uh, philosophy or this, you know, interconnectedness, the word spiritual instead of uh, Jesus or whoever the the main figurehead is. Um, but really, you know, it, at the end of the day, if you if the divine is within everything and everyone and everywhere, you really should be able to learn something from the person right in front of you, right? Oh, yeah, totally. So um, let me pick up on one thing you said. Uh, A lot of people, a a phrase I hear frequently is, well, I just need the Bible and I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But you take that concept, Jesus was a Middle Eastern teacher, 
first two or 300 years, we overlaid Greek philosophy on that. Mm -hmm. Then we overlaid the structure of the Roman Empire and its whole political system on that. Mm -hmm. Then we overlaid European culture on top of that. Mm -hmm. We come through this whole big reformation that adds all kinds of stuff from all kinds of European perspectives. Mm -hmm. And then you get to America in the 21st century where we're dominated by consumerism, militarism, technology, and somebody says, well, all I need is the Bible and I'll be fine. And it's like, you've got 47 layers to get through. And if you don't understand that, what you're actually looking at can be completely skewed by numerous layers of cultural awareness. And I talk to friends of mine who are Hindu or Muslim, and they're kind of wrestling with the same things right now. Um, how do we find a way in the 21st century to actually get through all the cultural baggage to find the reality of the spiritual teachings that uh, kind of create a pathway for living? Well, and I think it requires us obviously examining our beliefs, being willing to reshape, reform, transcend, include, right. dispose, all of that um, adjustment that happens internally and then, of course, um, you know, finds its way into your external reality and, and behavior. But what we're describing is a paradigm shift. We're actually oh. calling for, you know, an overhaul of everything, how you see, how you feel, how your sensor, your perception, everything. So I know that through our conversations, I have undergone a paradigm shift can you tr attempt to describe um, this mysterious, uh, all-encompassing uh, transition that occurs? And, you know, how do we know if we're due for one? I should be able to do this in 90 seconds or less. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I think where it starts is, is with a sense of intellectual humility and realizing that everything I know may not be, or I believe may not be completely correct or true or factual or kind of like you said with the science thing, what are you actually tying into? Yeah. Uh, one of the guys that I work with, he, he quotes an expression that's used a lot. Um, if your tribe is no longer giving you a place to have a voice, you may need to look for another tribe. Hmm. And I think that actually is part of a paradigm shift is just an awareness uh, from a humble perspective that things could be a little bigger. Hmm. Uh, one of my favorite words these days is expansive. When you start to look at the divine, when you start to look at spiritual realities, actually the more expansive it is, the more you're probably headed in a good way because we are talking about the infinite here. We are talking about the mysterious. And so back to your point, yeah, sometimes it feels almost scary and you can almost feel guilty like you're sort of ditching the winning team or the home team, you know, and kind of setting out in another direction. But there is an intellectual responsibility to wrestle with stuff. Uh, I can't tell you the amount of people that I've encountered who, for whatever reason, have left their spiritual tradition because they started asking questions mm -hmm. 
and kind of got smacked down pretty seriously because that was sort of not allowed. Right. And yet, to me, spiritual growth absolutely requires questions, absolutely requires us to be asking not only of the world around us, but of ourselves, what are we seeing? What are we actually connecting with? And what are we holding on to that's informing the way we then live? Right. I mean, if something is true, then you should be able to dig in at a cellular level and the cells should be true. Absolutely. And so it doesn't have to be threatening. In fact, it should be affirming. Embraced, and right. A good wrestling match is actually pretty enjoyable. Because it helps you refine what you're seeing, what you're understanding, and you just continue to find that reality is actually much larger and definitely uh, much, many more sided right. than we allow it to be. Yeah, multidimensional for sure. Absolutely. And and I know we'll get into it later, um, the both and framework, which has <laughs> ugh, been a life changer, um, but I just want to make a few points this reminds me of reading um uh sapiens uh there was a section and i'm gonna butcher and poorly paraphrase but he essentially describes um the rigidity of religion as being something that excludes and biology as being something that embraces it's like you know you get into um uh, human structures and and concepts and systems and they will reject, whereas science, cosmos, biology will actually embrace. And that's a way to um, separate almost what is and is not uh, natural. That's a bold statement. And I'm going to just like yeah. skimp over that. Um, but it's it's worth reading uh, the book Sapiens and kind of uh, using that as an interesting challenge to your worldview. You might find some. Uh, those listening, you might find some some interesting points. Um, so really quickly, what are the risks of ignoring facts or someone else's experience? I know for me personally, obviously, being in a church community and then falling in love with a woman and kind of being ostracized and, and left outside to figure it out on my own was uh, not, didn't feel like the most loving response I could have gotten from them. But out, even outside of church terms, um, what happens when we we ignore um, the facts of science when it comes to climate or, um, right. you know, we ignore someone else's experience because we ourselves haven't even been able to create space for that to be true? So a couple things I can sort of point at. So the, so here's, here's kind of a thought. Um. Let's take, for example, let's go science. Uh, you, when you read books from the West, you hear this term, the Copernican Revolution. This guy comes along and says, oh, hey, wait a minute. Humans and the Earth aren't the center of the universe. In our galaxy, the sun is. And Galileo has the same concept. Church goes completely ballistic about that and kind of gets crazy. Um if you, I have a very, very close friend who's a Hindu who does a lot of tours at, at the Hindu temple here in central Indiana. And one of the last things she shows on this tour is a thing they call the Navagraha, which is 
the sun and nine planets around it that's been around since 2000 BC. Hmm. And she doesn't kind of get in everybody's face about it, but it's kind of like, hey, you guys took three and a half millennia to catch up. <laughs> and uh, you just sort of go, hmm, yeah. maybe I shouldn't be so certain about the things that I think I'm certain about yeah. when there may be other perspectives out there that if I would humbly look and listen are going to be really helpful. Um, on a human level, our church talks a lot about what we call relational laziness. Relational laziness is saying something like, okay, well, they're, they're Catholic, so they're going to act like this. Mm. Or they're going to be, um, she just came from, from Europe, so she's going to think this. So stereotyping. And in reality, we haven't taken the time to know them. Mm. We haven't had conversation. We just make a blanket judgment. Right. Um. We that's something that our society, especially now with so much social media out there, it's so easy to just make quick generalizations, decisions and applications about stuff without taking the time to actually know a person, to know their experience, to know the road they've traveled, to know, like we were talking about at the beginning, all the things that have contributed to who they are and that make up the perspective they bring. Right. When you do that with almost anybody, it's going to give you a sense of empathy to see a little bit through their eyes, and it's going to help your understanding. And then the ostracism and the lack of acceptance kind of goes out the window pretty quickly. Right. I mean, it's really powerful to pause and consider what it would be like for you to not try and defend your beliefs for once, to just <laughs> listen. Yeah. That's all I was looking for. I wasn't looking for someone to, you know, convert me or, uh, you know, uh, fix my ideology. First, I just needed space. And that whole concept of holding space and sharing space that we hear about now is it's going to be imperative, especially when we're trying to bridge the gap between political issues and parties right. and, and different groups and demographics and whatnot. Um, so, so on that note, I think that uh, kind of segues into the concept of both and this framework where you're able to hold on to seemingly contradictory uh, statements or facts and find a way to like live in that tension in the gray um, and let new concepts emerge. So can you explain uh, what both and is and, and how it can maybe help people who are trying to reconcile conflicting parts of themselves, maybe their personality, um, relationships, their life, and even their faith? So let's start with the obvious opposite to both and, which is either or. Mm -hmm. Uh, You got to be black, you got to be white. There isn't really much gray. Um, This permeates American society more than we realize I think we may be the last of the developed countries in the world that only have two political parties Hmm. that think it can only be this one or this one. Almost every European nation, most developed countries in the world have at least four or five or six parties. And so you've got more nuance. Most times one party doesn't win outright. So they have to make compromises and alliances 
to actually get a place of political power. Mm-hmm. That's just a very simple illustration of what it looks like. But both and means just kind of what you said. We are not set in a dualistic world where there's only one right answer and everything else is wrong, or there's only the, the other answer that isn't mine is always wrong. But two things can be held in tension, what I like to call healthy tension at the same time. Even this comes into business, it comes into how you handle relationships. A lot of times there really is more than one right way to do something. And a lot of, many times it's just your choice. How do you want to play it out? And honestly, that scares people a lot of the time. Right. We tend to be a human race that likes to be told what to do. Right. The blueprint. Uh, we just want the right. That's kind of how religion keeps its role sometimes is we just want the answers and then we'll follow the way. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's uh, scary to think critically <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> it's scary to question yourself. Right. Well, yeah. Think of coming undone. If you don't have the identity you've lived with for your entire life, who are you then? Who will you be? Who could you be? And even seeing, you know, the shadow sides of yourself and going, right. well, it's something that I say in different videos and different content that I make. If you look at another person who has maybe done something you consider negative or harmful and you say, I would never do that. I'm not sure you've explored all of the sides of yourself and your capacity as a human being to act in the same way under certain circumstances. Um, and it's highly subjective. What was so awful for you, you know, it's the, the age old, someone's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. It really is so uh, convoluted and, and there are just so many things that go into every moment um, and how someone views it. I mean, I see that in the comments as well. The comment sections of my posts when someone's like, I absolutely love this. It spoke straight to me. And then the next person's like, this alienates your audience. You need to switch right. this. Like, <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Um, yeah. I'm actually going to take a, a short break to give my brain <laughs> a second to digest. And uh, we will come right back after a few moments. We're chatting here with Bruce Garrison, philosopher, writer, spiritual leader, and my personal mentor. Um, he has written and taught and studied and performed in many countries. Um, so he's seen firsthand how the social customs and expressions vary, yet they get so intertwined with the beliefs of a culture and maybe the religions in the area, the institutions. And, uh, and he's seen also firsthand and showed me how that ends up causing us to measure who is in or out of the club, who is good or bad, um, just based on whether their practice and expression fits the popular version. Um, and if not, they're considered outsiders, threats, unenlightened, lost souls. I've been called all of those many times by people these days. Um, and yet I'm like, just look at the fruit of my life. Anyways. That's another conversation. Um, but I'm uh, curious, Bruce, you're in executive leadership on an interfaith board. So you're having really complicated conversations that affect your entire region with people who believe dramatically different things than you do, at least on paper. How mm. are you approaching these discussions and why did you want to fill this position? I mean, I'm guessing people 
kind of disqualify you because you're even willing to do this. It's brave Uh, in a way. To answer your various comments there, yeah, yeah, some people don't totally get this. The way I look at it, it's it's a thing called the Center for Interfaith Cooperation here in Indianapolis. And we have 40 board members representing about 24 denominations or religions or faith groups. Uh, And so we kind of set out values last year. And one of the values that I brought to the table is something that I think kind of drives all this is curiosity. Are you willing to actually look outside of your own tribe, your own world, your own belief system to see what other people have to say, what they're doing? Mm -hmm. And I mean, curiosity in a way, not just to hear what they have to say, but to actually learn. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of back to your point about we really don't listen well. Uh, The way we kind of describe it at at our church is most people listen to respond. We want to learn to listen to understand. There's a uh, a Catholic monk. He passed away just a few years ago named Henry Nowen. And he called listening a spiritual form of hospitality because you are literally inviting the other person into your realm Mm. and allowing them the place to state who they are, not with a desire to shoot that down or to show them where they're wrong, but just to hold what they have given you and to honor it, to listen to it and deal with it. I think that's where anything that is involving interfaith or inter dialogue, whether it be ethnic, cultural, whatever, has to start where there's a curiosity, but also then a sense of being willing to listen. Right. Um, Because if you jump to condemnation or if you jump to trying to pressure cook someone into your (laughs) idealized version, you also hold them back from their greatest transformation. Yeah, and you deny their humanity. Oof. (laughs) <laughs> in a sense, because you have kind of said what who you are isn't as good as who I am. Right. Hmm. And you're kind of shooting down what may be 40, 50, 60 years of life lessons hmm. and kind of just discounting all that. And I can't even imagine being in that kind of a place where you feel okay doing that about somebody else. Yeah, we do that. Again, social media has kind of given a platform for that to be way too easy. You know, we don't know the person. We don't look them in the eye. We just fire off comments. Right. There's a lady named Phyllis Tickle who said that about every 500 years, the world experiences a spiritual transformation or step forward if you want. Mm -hmm. And I think we're about due one of those. Um, and I'd those say so. things happen. I think the one that's happening now is based upon this willingness to listen, whether like I was some of the things that come from Hinduism or Buddhism, uh, spiritual awareness means being able not necessarily to let go of what you've been raised with, but allowing it to be transformed and allowing it maybe to transcend the lowest common denominator or the most simple tradition and being willing to hear from others and saying, okay, this actually enhances 
what I believe and who I am becoming as a person. But that that takes some work uh, because all of us, kind of like you said earlier, we all have this defensive place mm-hmm. that we tend to start with. And we also have, uh, honestly, a fear of the other, that that's unknown, mm-hmm. uh, that we're not certain about. Right. For me, it was about being willing to just, again, back to the expansive thing, to see how big the divine really is and how Mm -hmm. multifaceted and some of the perspectives that we maybe had earlier on in the Western world, but we've lost through industrialization and uh, technology. We've lost contact with so many pieces. And now I'm finding voices who are saying, oh, yeah, no, that actually still existed. That's always been part of our tradition. Right. And let me show you what that looks like. What is one analogy or lesson you've learned from one of your colleagues or board members? Something that I found starts showing up in different traditions. Take Hinduism, for instance. They have what they call the divine om. They talk about that this was the sound that kind of started the universe. At the Big Bang, there was this om, and it's this energy and literally there's a megahertz that you get on that this sound connects with and you're going oh wow that's kind of interesting what a unique thought but then you start looking through various traditions and even in the christian tradition francis of assisi used to always talk about hearing the song of the angels Hmm. that there was this sort of noise that resonated with him all the time of course The indigenous Americans talk about hearing the heartbeat of God, Mm -hmm. and that's why drumming was so much a part of their ritual and their practice. Uh, The Celtics talked about the song of God that reverberated in the heart. And so what you find is, okay, the language is a little different. The terminology may not be quite the same, but you're hearing from various parts of the world this spiritual resonance. Right kind of permeates various traditions and various belief systems. And are all the things all the same? No, not necessarily. But you start to pick up through the imagery, through the language, that the similarities are sometimes much bigger than we would have would we would have first realized. Right. Yeah, and to be able to see beauty and in them and appreciate them. Absolutely. Oh, I mean my life has changed for the better now that I can walk down the street and hear something that once, you know, was was foreign to me. It was so unfamiliar, I couldn't digest it. But now I've slowly and surely um, begun uh, increasing the capacity for new information. And yeah, it does it, it does something really beautiful inside. Um, and I my my ability to love people has just like you know, skyrocketed. And, you know, my relationships have just uh, blossomed and flourished because of all of these um, qualities, the curiosity, the uh, multidimensionality, having the both and, oh my God, how many arguments have been solved and, and mitigated because I'm able to go, yes, and, and, you know, my partner's <laughs> able to go, yes, and. Right. Otherwise, you're immediately denying what they just said. So I think we've covered, you know, a lot of territory. Do you have any particular 
resources or books or starting points for people who want places for people who are like, you know, how do I dissect my own filter? I'm even thinking you could even journal and just say, you know, write down family, uh, faith, uh, you know, schooling, state, just all of the different facets of who you are and what make up your experience and then start looking into what influenced them. You know, if you do participate in a church, for example, if you're at a Christian church and your pastor says one thing, well, who was your pastor's pastor and your pastor's pastor's pastor and see how far back you can go to, to get to the root of what's influencing the material. Do you have any other ideas or specific resources that people could use? Oh, wow. uh, Don't get me started on books. (laughs) Um, I think probably the place to start is pretty much like you said, kind of do a look in the mirror from a spiritual perspective and sort of take an examination of of your influences. So I was talking to somebody just yesterday, actually, And uh, I grew up in a tradition of the Christian church who kind of has only appeared in the last hundred or so years. And so that was really about as far back as we looked historically. Hmm. If you look at Protestantism, they'll tell you, well, the church really didn't come into its own until 500 years ago. Hmm. But then if you look at the Orthodox tradition or the Catholic tradition, now you've got 2,000 years And there's all this richness. And what you even find is like in the 12th, 13th, and 14th centuries, there were a lot of mystics, a lot of them female, who were like so green and Mm -hmm. doing such cool ecological stuff. But then we sort of pounded all that out and Mm -hmm. removed it when the Reformation came along. Mm -hmm but it was always part of the tradition. And so it's a matter of just taking a step back and doing a little bit of self-assessment. And then gosh, as far as resources go, there are so many good people out there. Um, What I'm kind of looking at right now. So there's a really interesting guy named Thomas Berry. He passed away not that long ago and he, they call him an ecological theologian. Um, Wendell? He does a lot of stuff. Uh, he wrote a series of essays that they've turned into a book called The Sacred Universe. Hmm. There's a really good book called Spiritual Ecology, The Cry of the Earth. It's got um, Christian writers, Hindu writers, Native American writers, Muslim authors. It's just Buddhist, Thich Nhat Hans in there. It's just a whole bunch of people looking. And obviously, this is all very environmentally driven Hmm. but it's kind of looking from a perspective of okay what's out there that i can actually start to get my head around because that's that's one of the biggest issues right now there's just no way to say that it isn't environmentalism is something you've got to be addressing right uh in terms of dualism richard Rohr wrote a phenomenal little book i think you and i actually went through this together a few years ago called the naked now yes indeed 10 out of 10 um, would recommend he just kind of walks through it from a christian perspective but he walks through how dualism so colors the way we see the world and the way we see spiritual things mm. um i will have you create a list i can do that yeah and if you're interested in knowing bruce's long long reading list <laughs> 
I will add it to the description or on my Instagram, um, and you can follow along and uh, and share with us what you uncover. Um, and I just want to clarify, you said Thomas Berry. I remember a name, Wendell Berry. Is that? Yeah, what's so funny is they both were very environmentally yeah. oriented. They're totally not related at oh. all. Okay, uh, interesting. Uh, Wendell Berry is still around. He actually started the farmer's market movement. Mm. Very, very earth-oriented. Um, Thomas Berry actually was a comparative theologian. And through the Eastern religion, started gaining this real understanding of the divine, the sacred of the universe, and has kind of come back into his Christian roots and is sort of making the whole thing work. Wow. And uh, some of his stuff right now is really influential because of all the stuff going on with the environment. He was kind of looking at this stuff 25, 30 years ago yeah. from a theological perspective. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty standard for how our conversations go. They're, <laughs> <laughs> they're many hours long and they end with more questions. Right. Um, but is there any final suggestion or area that we didn't cover? Right, so here's probably the one thing I would say. We live in a, in a society that kind of almost forces you into the status quo. They almost force you into being a consumer buying the right stuff, owning the right products, looking the right way. We're not really given a lot of encouragement to take the journey, hmm. to sort of get out there into the wilderness and experience the wild, the primitive, the unsettled. And yet when you get into spirituality from almost every perspective, there is an element of mystery that kind of permeates everything. But mystery, like you say, mystery is a little scary because it's kind of like taking off in a deep fog mm -hmm. and not being really sure. You can't really see more than two or three steps ahead of you. Right. But it's in those places that you start to encounter something beyond the norm. You start to encounter the transcendent. And so I, what I would say is be okay with taking that journey, realizing this is really kind of a Celtic concept that it's probably going to be spiral sometimes mm. just as much as it's from one point to another. Uh, you and I have talked about this. You feel like, oh, wait a minute, I'm thinking the same things again. But I use the concept of a spiral staircase. Yeah, you've come back around again, but you're a level deeper. Hmm. And you may encounter the same things in life again, but, oh, now you're two levels deeper. And so you're seeing it in a totally different way. Right. But I think the, the journey allows you that place to continually deal with the deeper things until spirit starts to become part of who you are. And then like our good friend Ken Wilber talks about, you begin to attain to the transcendent, right. which actually is where all of us hopefully are heading almost regardless of what our trans, uh, tradition is. Right. And I really do love that spiral staircase. That's even helped me in practical terms for recovering from eating disorders or dealing with anxiety, uh, depression, because when you return to that behavior or that urge, you go, oh, no, I've gone all the way back to the beginning. And sometimes right. you you discount the progress that you've made, but also that time you've spent really sitting in that uncomfortable um, gray area 
and you you do have more resilience than the last round, the last time you faced this uh, quote unquote demon or or difficulty. So the spiral staircase can can be more than just a spiritual tool. It really can be so practical. Um, so I'm so glad that you touched on that, Bruce. It's been so wonderful having you. Now people know why I am the way I am. <laughs> and um, I know, right? If you if you have any problems with me, I'll pass them along to Bruce and he can deal with them. Um, so thank you for being on the show. I know you and I will talk soon. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, I will... Uh, you know, put Bruce's information somewhere on my platform so you can read more about what he's up to and, and of course, see that wonderful reading list. Thank you, Bruce. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. (laughs) Okay. That was a lot of cognitive output. So feel free to pause, give yourself a chance to digest, contemplate what we just discussed. When you're ready, jump back in for this week's mantras. Let's turn what we learned into something proactive, some affirmations for your week. I will say each two times, and then in the empty space that follows, you can repeat or say it out loud. First, I am becoming aware of presence. I am becoming aware of presence. Second, I am continually deepening or ascending on my spiral staircase. I am continually deepening or ascending on my spiral staircase. And lastly, I hold space for people's whole humanity. I hold space for people's whole humanity. All right. Thank you so much for joining today. This has been an incredible journey exploring the relationship between the simple and the complex here on Simplexity. I hope you had an amazing time. You have your own takeaways. You were challenged. Um, You're going to have a great conversation with someone else after this. Also, it would mean so much to me if you could take a moment to rate and review this show. Um, And if you're not already subscribed, hit that subscribe button. And if you know someone who would love this show, please share this episode. Would love for them to come hang out. I am Allison Stoner. This is Simplexity. It's anything but small talk. Peace.